My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, welcome to Our Sunday School. I am glad you are here. Uh, I want to start off this morning thanking Miss Thesa for teaching last week. I appreciate that. Um, it is a, uh, a soothing balm to me to be able to have uh, folks be able to stand up and me not sit in the back and go, I wonder if something, like I wonder, I, you know, it's just, it is a blessing. So uh, thank you, Miss Lisa. The, uh, she left us with a couple questions last week, and we're going to get there in just a few minutes, but we'll start with our uh, question that we ask each week, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? For me, Welcome back, Miss Darla. Be careful where you put yourself. Hmm. Okay. Be careful where you put yourself in the parables, yeah. I just love being the center of the story. You know, it's like, think about the last time you told a story to somebody, and were you the center of the story? He's like, yes. What about the one before that? Dang it, yes. And the one before that? Mm, maybe so. Like, it's super easy, right? Because each one of us is a publishing company now, and we can broadcast to the entire world anything we want at any time. And uh, the Bible's not about us. So, it's good to be reminded. What else? What's God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Verse 24. Yes, amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the sovereign king of the universe uh, does not need my anything, but uh, I do have a part to play in my sanctification. And uh, pay attention to what we hear. All right, one more. What's God been doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, ever. I was going to say somebody other than this table, but there you go. <clears throat> no, you're good. Because what I'm going to say is pretty incredible. <laughs> and you're the center of the story, aren't you? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, to add little things that, that yeah. aren't there. Right. You know, we've, we've had talks before, and yeah. lots of times you're saying, does it say that, though? Yeah. Look at that real quick, or I don't believe it says that. Yeah. It's easy to interject little things. Yeah, yeah that's the... little things, but it throws it off. Right. That's the single most helpful... Uh, see, even then, that's arrogant. 
I think, from what I'm aware of, that's the most helpful thing that I've learned about Bible study in the last five, six years, is just like stare at the book. Like It's really not much more complicated than that. Like Stare at the book. The, the Spirit works through that book. Stare at the book. You know. so. And it's the least sexy thing in the universe. Um, and it doesn't get a billion uh, likes on Facebook, and it's not going to go viral. <laughs> viral was a bad thing before social media. I, I always laugh about that, but um, may still be. I don't know. All right. So let's. Uh, what's the next thing on our uh, handout? Read Mark chapter four. So let's uh, read Mark chapter four. I always feel odd just haloing into Mark in Mark chapter four, but uh, here we are. So Mark chapter four. Oh, oh, I wanted, uh, I meant to do this last uh, two weeks ago, but I do want to commend you on uh, how much improvement I have seen us as a class make on when this is being read, that we sit still and shut up. That's my redneck version of thank you for that. Um, it speaks volumes that uh, this is important. I, I literally... I am not bothered in any way, shape, or form if you guys talk or do something else while I am teaching. Uh, but this, this is God speaking. And it is beautiful to see his people be enraptured and attentive to the words of the Lord. So thank you for that. It's really awesome. So let's look at Mark chapter 4. Oh, and if somebody coughs like 27 times while I'm reading Mark chapter 4, that's not what I'm talking about at all. It's okay. I get that we're in the middle of flu season. It's fine. All right? So... Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. 
And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except it may be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown up, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. So last week, uh, Thesa left us with a couple of questions, uh, and it's the next highlighted section on our handout there. So how do these verses, this was uh, last week's text, Mark 4, 21 through 25, fit in the scheme of Mark 4? And in the overall scheme of Mark, and she referenced then John 1, uh, 1 through 5, and 14. And if you go over to the third page in your handout, uh, the bottom of page 122, we're going to, I wanted to plant those, (laughs) sorry, that was not intentional. I almost said I wanted to plant that seed, and we'll come back to it at the end of today's lesson. Dave, that accidental pun was for you. Um, He and his family are traveling today, so he'll know that uh, I'm channeling him just a little bit this morning with the bad puns. But these uh, these questions, what's the flow of the parables in Mark 4? What comes before Mark 4? What comes after Mark 4? What connects the parables in Mark 4? I want us to keep these things in our mind as we go through and uh, study today's text uh, as well. So be thinking about... um, So let me ask you a question. Who's the greatest teacher that ever walked the planet? All right. Do great teachers do things accidentally or intentionally? Okay. How much is intentional? Yeah, every bit of it. He, he is literally the word that spoke things into existence. He is literally in Colossians the one who holds all things together and in him all things consist. Every atom is held together by him. And if you don't think that he was intentional and non-accidental when he was walking around in his teaching, the way in which, the order in which, the words in which, we have, a, we have two simple a Jesus because he is incredible. So there is, there is uh, truth 
and beauty and wisdom to be had, looking at the structure and the framework of Mark as well as the individual words. And one of the dangers that we have with the approach that we've decided that I've decided to take, going through verse by verse and word by word, is that I don't tend to zoom out very often, and it's another one of the reasons why I'm thankful that when folks come and speak, the first thing they generally do is zoom back out a little bit and let's get a bigger perspective and then go back in. So it's helpful. So let's look at verse uh, 26, uh, the parable of the seed growing. So as Andy said, so this is the uh, imperfect. Uh, So this is the Greek tense where we talk about action continually or repeatedly happening in past time. So this is something that he was uh, saying often. So, and he said, the kingdom, and, and right away we get into a, uh, we can get into a challenge here because the New Testament uses the word kingdom in a variety of ways. It's not always used in the exact same way. I've highlighted uh, really the three primary ways that the word is used. It can be used to describe royalty. So what part of the kingdom is royalty? The king. Right, this is the king, okay? Uh, So what part of the kingdom is the rule? The what, Zeke? I heard it. The law, right, yeah. And then what part of the kingdom is the realm? Yeah, the the territory, right? This is the, like, where do we draw the boundary? Like, if you put the kingdom on a map, where would you draw the boundary? So when you see this word kingdom, and Jesus uses it in a variety of ways, and sometimes it's the kingdom of God, and sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven, and, but it's, it's the kingdom. Uh, so we, we probably want to give some consideration to, is he talking about royalty, rule, or realm? Uh, and I promise you that was not my attempt at a Baptist uh, outline. That is literally straight from uh, Dr. Strong's definitions. Um, he might have been thinking of a Baptist outline, uh, but I'm not here. So the kingdom of God is, what's the next two words? As if. All right. So uh, Jesus is telling parables, and they are stories with a point. And he is not saying the kingdom of God is this thing, right? Lest we all rush out to be farmers and stare at the kingdom of God while it grows, right? We all become mustard growers, and we have a glut of mustard in the world economy, and it's just odd at that point, right? This is as if. So this is something that is like so I'm going to take you back to, I wish Stacy was in here this morning. I'd ask her to talk about simile and metaphor. Um, but this is a comparison to something. Is as if a man should scatter. So the scatter is in subjunctive. So this is the mood of possibility. Uh, so if, if he should scatter, uh, what? Seed. Have we seen something similar to this so far in Mark chapter 4? Where have we seen something similar to this in Mark chapter 4? Verse 13, yes. Where else? What was the first parable he talked about? Parable of the what? The sower. Right. So the first parable is about the sower. Then we have the explanation. And then uh, what's the, the next parable after that? Verse 21. The lamp under a basket, right? And you're like, wait, that doesn't sound like seed. Okay. And then we get to verse 26, and it's parable of the seed growing. And then verse 30, and it's the parable of the what? Mustard seeds. So how many parables are there? There's four parables. One with a very lengthy explanation, but you've got four parables. Three of them talk directly about seeds and sowing. And then you've got the lamp under a basket. You're like, okay, let's think through that for a second. Let's keep going in verse 
26. So we've got, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed. Where? On the ground. Has he already talked about putting seed on the ground? Yes. Did he already go into great detail on this? Did he go into more detail than you thought maybe he kind of, we were expecting him to go into on the seed on the ground. There's a lot of detail, right? He went into a tremendous amount of explanation. All right, so we put this seed on the ground. Verse 27, he sleeps. Yay. So why would I highlight active and subjunctive? Because I want to contrast it with rises. So when we sleep, it is an active uh, action on our part to go and lay down. But look at the rises. The rises is passive. The rises is something was done to the sleeper. I hope when you open your eyes in the morning, you recognize that what just happened was not because of you. But somebody woke you up. Now, that is not the point of the parable. This could be a whole sermon series on sleep, which would be wildly taking this particular text out of context. But this particular word, he sleeps, this is the possibility. Uh, And then he rises, again, the possibility, because this is a possibility parable. This is not a historical narrative of something happened. Verse 27, he sleeps and he rises night and day. Does that make sense? You see the parallel here, the sleep comes first, the rises come second, the night comes first, the day comes second. And for us, that's backward, because when we talk about the day, we talk about the day starting with sunrise, right? And then there's a day, and then there's the night. And in the Hebrew uh, system, this is not the way things were. When you remember back to Genesis chapter 1, in the evening and the morning, in the evening and the morning, in the evening and the morning. The evening begins the actual part of the day, not the morning begins the day. This is the right order. I hear, um, uh, sometimes I read uh, books or articles or blogs that talk about all the errors in the Bible, and they'll point this out and like, Jesus didn't even know when the day started. Jesus was a Jew, and since he made the day, I think he knows when the day started. The one who makes the thing gets to define how the thing is used. It's a real cool concept. So he uh, sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts. So the seed has something in it that is actively, right, sprouting. And then there's a transition, right, and the seed grows. So there's something being done to the seed that allows uh, growth to occur. And he knows. So you've got... uh, uh, he knows there is in the uh, perfect tense. So this is completed action with the results continuing. So this is something that he learned in the past and he continues to understand right now. So he knows not how, which is an odd way to use the perfect tense. It implies that this is not going to be something that he's going to figure out. This is going to be something that he's just not going to get the rest of his life. So the earth, um, he knows not how. So verse 28, the earth produces, so again, there's something active here. So who, let me ask you a question. Who put the active here? God did, right? In creation, God, I don't know the word. Y'all help me with the word. Imbued, empowered, uh, put, caused, I like this. That's a good word. Caused the earth to have the ability to do this. 
right? So don't miss the creative component of God in this, right? So the earth produces by what? By itself. And you're like, that seems weird. Uh, it's not. It's automatos. It's uh, where we get our word automatic. Uh, it just happens, right? And if the earth didn't just produce by itself, what would happen to us? Yeah, I hope you like spam, right? <laughs> You're going to need something that's, you know, I mean, it's just like, this is good for us, right? This is really, really good for us, that God designed things this way. So the earth produces by itself, first the what? The blade. All right, uh, this is cortos. This is, uh, uh, the, the first definition is a court or a garden or herbage or vegetation. Flip over to Mark 6.39, should just be a couple pages I'm going to show you the other way this is used in the Gospel of Mark. So tell me where the Kortos is. This is Jesus. This is he is about to do something that, uh, quite frankly, had never been done before, feeding thousands and thousands of people. Uh, verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So what's the word for Kortos? Grass. Yeah. So it's the... The first part of what is growing here. So first the blade, then the ear. So somebody tell me what the ear is. Yeah, the, the, actually we're getting to the fruit part of this plant, right? Uh, so this is the, the beginning of this thing that is going to develop into what's next? The full grain in the ear. Ripeness, fullness, absolutely. Flip back to Mark uh, 2.23. Show you how ear is used. <clears throat> On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So this is the, the finished product that you could actually consume at this point. Now, that means really tasty. Um, I heard a good phrase for these supermarkets that sell products like this, these crunchy supermarkets, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, which I think is odd business model that they sell you something for more than the uh, processed cost. So I'm doing less to it and charging you more for it. That is a brilliant business model. Like they have sold, like that is, sorry, that's my... Yes. It's kind of odd, right? So in this, we're talking about fullness, right? So this is the growth and development. So if you look back, we'll start back at the beginning here. So verse uh, 25, he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. This is step one. He sleeps and rises night and day. This is step two. Seed sprouts and grows. Step three. He knows not how. The earth produces... Step four, first the blade, step five, then the ear, step six, then the full grain in the ear, step seven. And then, verse 29, but when the grain, or the fruit, as Mitch pointed out just a second ago, when the conclusion of this thing, flip over to Mark 12, 2. So one of the things that I'm trying to do by having us flip around in the Gospel of Mark is to see that words have a breadth and a range of definition, um, and it is quite dangerous to memorize one definition for a word in the Scripture 
and only ever apply that word with that definition. Um, You're going to have a hard time having a conversation about elephants near the back of your car and trees. Because I can use the word trunk to describe the nose of an elephant, the back of your car, and a tree. And those are all proper definitions. And other languages have the exact same concept. So it's good to have a breadth of an understanding of specific words. So Mark 12, 2. Uh, he, again, he begins to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug it, uh, a pit for the wine press, and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get some, to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. This is the finished product, right? So when the grain is ripe, and this is an active sub- subjunctive. Again, this is subjunctive because we're. This is a story that could happen, not necessarily a story that Jesus is describing that has happened. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in. What's the Greek word? Apostolo, right? What does it sound like? Apostle. Let me read it a different way. But when the grain is ripe, at once he apostles the sickle. You're like, Jim, that sounds weird. All right. So this is something that is apostles are set apart, and they are set apart to be sent out to do something very specific. So he puts in the sickle. And the sickle is just, if you've never seen a sickle, um, it looks like the most inefficient way to do any job ever. If you look at a sickle and then you look at a field, you'll go, we need more sickles. (laughs) We need lots and lots of workers, which is why in the New Testament, when you see someone hires somebody to work in the field, it's never singular. It's laborers. It's plural because you need a lot of people to do this because they didn't have combines. right? They had sickles. Now, if you know what you're doing with a sickle, you can clear a lot of land in a hurry. But it is not the uh, model of uh, 21st century efficiency, right? So he puts in the sickle because the harvest or the reaping or the crop has come. This is the perfect tense. This is the completed action with the results continuing. This is something that has happened, and it is time to take action because something has happened. It means to stand beside or to exhibit. It was obvious from looking at this that the time has come. Look at Mark chapter 14, verse 47. Some of y'all are getting really nervous right now because it's like 936 and I'm on the last phrase. We still got four questions. You know, don't, get, don't get your hopes up. <clears throat> Mark 14, 47. So the time has come. This is when they were. Uh, <laughs> it's when they arrested Jesus. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So what's the time has come? No, in the in the in the verse, what word is uh, therismos? What is the word for reap? Uh, what is the word for um, exhibiting? Nope. What's the other phrase that's highlighted on your handout? 
So the word has come, it's the perfect active indicative, to stand beside. There you go, stood by. There you go. <clears throat> I thought this was an easy example. Sorry about that. So, and, but one of those who stood by, would you agree that there is a sense here that something significant is happening in the story of the gospel? This is a, this is a big turning point, right? We, we are arresting Jesus, right? They stood by. All right, look at Mark 15, 39. It's the last time this word is used in Mark's gospel. And when the centurion, this is the man who was at the foot of the cross, who stood facing him, Jesus, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. So the first time that this word is used in Mark's gospel, we talk about this harvest exhibiting. There is something new here that requires a sickle and a harvest. And this is something that is visibly, demonstrably ready. And the last time, it's someone remarking on the deity of Jesus Christ. Because this was something that was visible. This was something that you could see up close. This was something that was substantially different than anybody else. Which I think is quite beautiful. You have this pagan centurion who would have uh, undoubtedly seen many, many crucifixions in his life. And there was something different about this one. And I do not believe that Jesus uses words accidentally. And I do not believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write these words accidentally. There is a connection in the storytelling of this word. Uh, Peristomy uh, has come to stand beside, to exhibit, to substantiate, to be at hand. Because it is a beautiful, beautiful word. So let's look at these questions at the bottom of page 122. So what's the flow of the parables in Mark chapter 4? So the parable of the sower is fundamentally about bearing fruit as evidence of a productive seed and productive soil. The thing that is different about the last soil is that it bore fruit. What's happening with a lamp under a basket? Are you supposed to put it under a bed? No, it's a fire code hazard. It's really stupid. Don't do that. Jesus is making... Uh, uh, Stephen had a great comment on this last week. You know, this is just an absurd comment that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do this, right? This is about paying attention. This is about... Look at the, the very last verse in this section, verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given. This is about abundance. This is about more is coming. The parable of the seed growing. At the very end, the harvest has come. Verse uh, 32, at the end of the parable of the mustard seed, it grows up, it becomes larger, it puts out branches. The birds there can nest in its shade. There's a connection between these guys. They're in an order on a purpose. So what comes before Mark chapter 4? This should be a really simple question. Mark chapter 3, yes, very good. 
And at the end of Mark chapter 3, you see Jesus' mother and brothers. And they say, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. There's this inside-outside motif. When you put the seed in the wrong spot, it doesn't grow. When you put the lamp in the wrong spot, it doesn't shine. When you wait too long for the harvest, you don't get what you need. And when you underestimate small, thing, underestimate small things with a mustard seed, um, you look past what God can do with very small things. What comes after Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 5. Yes, you figured out the pattern here, haven't you? Excellent. What is he doing in Mark chapter 5? We go back to what? Healing in the first half of chapter 5. What's the second half of chapter 5? Healing. So we heal, we heal, we heal, we teach, we go back to healing. Why would you need to go back to healing? How much teaching can you do like this without explaining things to people? Not a lot, right? Jesus is very intentional about the way that he does this. And if it bothers you that there are more words in other Gospels, just go back to Mark chapter 4, um, verse 3. It says, And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them. Mark does not say this is the sum total of all of his teaching. There was much much, much more. Mark is skipping a rock across the top of all of what Jesus taught per the instruction of the Holy Spirit, which is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful for us. These things are connected. And I promise you, if you spend three minutes a day doing your quiet time, this is not going to pop up. You're going to play whack-a-mole with really ugly theology. And... uh, when dark days come, you, we, we might forget that uh, the sower knows what he's doing because the sower is not me. The light uh, shines. Uh, I'm not the light. Uh, the seed grows. I'm not the seed. The mustard seed, it can provide a tremendous amount. Um, I'm the one that benefits from the shade. Does this make sense? You with me on this? Some of you are like, wait, this felt different today. Yes, because we've had a couple of weeks in a row and I'm trying to connect some of these dots for us a little bit. Um, Stare at the text, stare at the text, stare at the text, stare at the text. Next week, you're blank on page 123 for your handout. We're going to start, Lord willing, with Mark uh, 4, verse 30. And we'll go until we're finished. And your homework is to pray for help in understanding Mark. To hear Mark multiple times. To think about Mark often, day and night. To talk with someone, dead or alive, about Mark. To share your insights about Mark. And to invite a member and a non-member. And if you're curious about what those five things are, I taught a Sunday School lesson on each one of them. You can go to that website, OurSundaySchool.com. You can listen to them from our podcast. Or you can watch them on YouTube. I'm not prettier uh, nine months ago. So... It's just that. So with that, uh, you should have a weekly update on your table. So we have a few minutes here.
to lean in, engage, and to pray. Um, if you would, I would love for each person in the room to read all the way through all of the prayer requests. And not necessarily to pray for them all, but to read all the way through all of them. There are several here that I think are substantially outdated and need to be updated in some way. So read all the way through all of them. When you're finished with that, share any additional prayer requests, document those down, and then uh, pray as a group, and then you are dismissed to go and to hear the word of the Lord. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, guys. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.